0: I'm going to do a quick intro for our guest today, even though he needs no introduction. He's a manager and producer uh, who got to start interning at Village Roadshow, which led to his first job working for Leonardo DiCaprio at Appian Way, and now he is a uh, manager and producer at Bellevue Productions, which he founded, and he oversees a slate of dozens and dozens of tv projects and various and film projects in various states of development and production he was the producer of infinite starring mark Wahlberg, as well as a bunch of other stuff he's been on the show many times you all probably know him and love him as do we as do i he's my boy john Zazerni. welcome john thank you kevin thank you kevin it's always great to have you you're super popular everyone can hear us coming through loud and clear thank you uh audio sounds great thank you everybody gotta go back to your old mic Kevin. I had to go back to my old mic. Yeah, the new mic was causing problems. So if anyone's on super audio tech that can help with my new mic, uh, DM me on Twitter or something. I don't know how to reach me otherwise. Uh, or email me. Yeah, you can email me. But that's neither here nor there. Hopefully it sounds good with the old mic. I don't think there was a real problem with it, but you know, got to upgrade sometimes. And we're upgrading. We've got a. We're bringing John Zazerni back. That's always an upgrade, right? I'll take it. Uh-huh. So great to see you again, John. It's been a little while. Um, things are moving along. So we, we've got our new format, which included the intro, which we just did. Which again, you don't need any intro. I think you may have overtaken. I don't know who is the second most frequent guest, but you're probably our our Steve Martin. Uh, who's had the up. most appearances? I need to get you a jacket, a gold jacket, like they do on SNL for the five timer or ten timer, whatever it happens to be. Um, so I guess our first big segment is going to be <clears> the <throat> first five, which is five quick topics that uh, we get asked all the time, and we're hoping you can just give us some uh, insightful but speedy responses. So, the first one is we get asked all the time if writers still need to live in Los Angeles to uh, make it but specifically screenwriters and TV writers, because a lot of rooms during the pandemic were done via Zoom. Some have switched back, some haven't, although I want to get your take on it. I mean, what's what's the, the vibe out there?
1: Yeah. I mean, pre-pandemic, I would say uh, for television, you 100% have to be in Los Angeles. Um, you know, at this point, I think, it's probably like I I, I'm trying to think and I think I have a bunch of clients in rooms right now and I think at least 50 50 if not more the majority of them are actually back in person um you know I think maybe some of those have people joining via zoom and there are still some zoom rooms going on um but I I think it's trending more towards being back in person now um and I suspect over enough time that it will just move more and more and more to being in person. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, potentially allowances can be made. Uh, but I I would say early in your career, it may be trickier. If you're like a co-EP level person or an EP level person, maybe they'll like make an allowance for you. I don't know. You know, um, I would say that, uh, for television, it's going to be possible, but difficult. Uh, let's put it like that. Uh, if you're not in Los Angeles, um, that's my thing. For features, I don't think it matters to be in Los Angeles. Um, I think, you know, in a normal non-pandemic world, you could come to town uh, a couple times a year. Um, I have a client who's, gonna, who's in town, I think, right now, and she's like, oh, do you have, can we set any in-person meetings? And I was like, no, nah, people aren't really doing that very much, you know? To be fair, she, um, you know, had a script on the blacklist, and, and, and you know, so it's not like, she's met a bunch of people who was like, The first time we were taking out a script maybe some people would want to do in person but you know people aren't gonna be like well i met you once four months ago i want to do another in person the only difference being it's in person so Mm -hmm. uh, i think for features it's it's not at this point not not super important to be in los angeles i do think it's an added benefit to be in los angeles Um, for many reasons i think you know you just kind of meet people in real life i think there's kind of a if someone's in los angeles it does you know, it gives a perception, rightly or wrongly, that they are more committed to being in this um, in this industry. Um, but I don't think it's a requirement by any means <clears throat> for feature writers at this point in time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And for you, especially after since the pandemic, taking meetings for a potential client, a screenwriting client, is still done via Zoom, and you don't see that changing in the near future.
1: Yeah, I don't. Uh, I mean, like the reality is. You know, no, I I I we still sign everybody over Zoom. We just don't haven't really gotten back to doing in person.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, um yeah, no, that is still the still the reality. Um, it's also just easier, right? Like my office is in Hancock Park. Um, we recently signed uh, a writer who was an is an assistant on a TV show who the that room is remote. <clears throat> I believe it's remote, although she said they're actually going to be going back to being in person in a few weeks. So again, that shows you where this trend is going, mm-hmm. but for us to sign her, it'd be like, okay, let's do a zoom at like whatever o'clock. And then she has to drive from her location. And my colleague Kate who signed her as well would have to drive from her location. I live five minutes from my office. So I'm lucky, but still, you know, like it's a thing where it's like, we can just do it in person at, at a, it's, a, it's much easier it's much less of a of a of a of an impetus on people. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, and, and COVID is still very much a reality. Um, I had it like a month ago. Um, so you know, first time I'd ever had it actually. Yeah. Um, so you know, it still is one of those things where um, it, it's not. It's just not necessary. Now we're doing. I'm doing a brainstorming meeting on Monday <clears throat> with Ian Shore about a new new idea that he has. I'm going to be meeting with another client um, who we recently signed, um, who has been out of town in Europe for the last few weeks. So we're going to meet in person, start working on his new idea. So, you know, you still do it, um, but it's it's certainly not a requirement the way um, it was very much a thing in the past.
0: Right. Um, okay. Well, that's good to hear and not completely unexpected. I think uh, a lot of it going back to TV, going back to in person, but still being able to do a lot of zoom stuff otherwise for screenwriters and meeting new writers and things. Yeah. I mean, my,
1: Elise took out, my wife Elise took out a pitch and it was all over zoom entirely over zoom. Oh, TV pitch and a feature pitch. And both times they were all entirely done over
0: zoom. Man, that's nice. Um, Okay. Next question. Uh, How many pages of a script do you read when it's a submission and not a client script or a work project something you're developing or something that's floating around this pocket, but, a submission. So how much of a chance do you give a script before deciding to continue or toss it?
1: Probably first 15, 20.
0: 15, I mean, 20. If, if I'm liking
1: the first 15, 20, I'm going to keep going. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, 15, 20.
0: Yeah. And that's why we emphasize, everyone emphasizes that your script needs to have, not that it shouldn't be solid all the way through, but it's especially important to get right to the point in the first 10 to 15, right?
1: Well, it's like first, yeah, first 1520. It's like, yep. okay, I'm reading this. And if I'm bored or uh, I'm confused or I just don't like the writing. Right. Like when the first 1520, I don't have any reason to believe. Like, it's almost like this. If it's like a, a D, to, B, D or F script by 1520. Okay. It is. If it's like a C plus or a B minus, then I'm going to keep going. But I'm going to be like, I'm not loving it, but I, maybe, it's, you know, maybe there's more here, you know? And then, mm-hmm. then I'll keep reading to like the first end of the first act or further um, or obviously if it's a great script. I'll just keep going. But um, I, I don't it's not like that's uh, page 15 or 20. I make my decision purely based on that. But it's kind of like where it's trending, um, you know. Uh, so that's that's kind of it. And the other thing is the calculus I'm running in my head is I'm reading this because I want to eventually sign this person, I, I I'm coming to it from a place of glass half full. Like I want this to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and executives uh, and producers, etc., are coming at it from a place of like, oh my god, I have 20 scripts in my pile and I just want to get done with this. Um, and so they're coming at and so they're going to be even harsher on it than I am, honestly.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so, just a guesstimate, a rough guesstimate, how what percentage do you think that you get past 15, 20 pages on a script?
1: So I probably read like, it changes obviously week to week, but like eight to 10 scripts, uh, like a potential writer submissions mm-hmm. um, a week or so. And I would say maybe one of those, I do a
0: meeting. You, you say you do a meeting?
1: Well, Zoom, yeah. Maybe okay. one of those is, 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 is something that it's good enough for me to want to sign the person.
0: Right but what percentage would you say of those 10 that you give more than 15 to 20 pages? Like how, what percentage do you put oh, down? And do I go 15 20? Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, probably like the, I would actually say the majority i go to like the first act, but probably mm. like, there's like, probably like three or four that I'm like, okay, this is just bad, like done, you know? Right. And then like of the remaining six or so I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm at least going to read to the first act or the first 35, 40, Okay. Yeah. No. This is you know, and of those maybe four or five. Okay. Yeah. This is not for me. Right. You know? right. Um, And so, and maybe there is that one where I'm like, whoa, this is good. And then, mm-hmm. oftentimes, what I'll do is I'll be like, hey, I read the first sixty of this script. I'm really liking it. Um, and I email my colleagues to be like to flag it for them. And be like, hey, I'm really liking this. Here's what it's about. If anyone's interested in, in reading more of this, let me know. And and if we both like it, we can kind of do a signing meeting together. Mm-hmm. And I should say that like that's that meeting is not 100, like sometimes it is. Uh, it's like we, I 100% want to sign you. Please love you, love you, love you. Sometimes it's like, hey, I like your script. I want to hear more about you. I want to get to know you more. You know, right. it's kind of 50 50, I would say, uh, although more often. I mean, I'm always walking into it with the hope that I would sign this person. But sometimes like like um, the client that actually I just signed yesterday, Kate Sharp and I just signed yesterday. Who's an assistant on the TV show? We 100. We walked in. We're like, we want to sign you. You're amazing. Like this, we love your pilot. We think this is great. Um, We walked into it with that. There are other times when I've read the script and I like it, um, but I don't necessarily know what 100% I can do with it, and so I want to hear what else they're working on. Mm -hmm. Um, So it depends upon my reaction to their writing and my reaction to the material they submitted and what I feel like I can do with it.
0: Right. And a quick segue. What percentage of those scripts that you actually like and want to meet mm. via Zoom turns into a situation where you may have liked their writing but may not connect with them as an individual and therefore you part you don't actually follow through with representation.
1: Probably only one third, honestly. because oh, okay. I'm, I'm pretty it could be 50-50 to one third. I'm pretty picky about mm. who I meet with. Um I don't really see a point in meeting with someone unless I'm, I'm like like hey i think there's really something here mm-hmm. and i you know unless there's like some real warning signs that show up or or they're not clearly that that not that into me that has i mean that happened recently i met with someone and they clearly could lot be less disinterested in potentially signing with me so i was like okay you know mm-hmm. i'm i'm kind of on the fence and clearly you're like even you're off the fence so like you know it's like you go on a date with someone and you're like oh this person does not like me right um so it's like okay um, because like you know, if it's not there at the start, it's generally not there going forward. So you know, I would say maybe fifty percent to to one third of, of the time it ends up not being someone I move forward with. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
0: So oftentimes, a newer writer who lands their first rep thinks that. Now the job is done. Now I'm on the road to easy street. But my job,
2: yeah. Right.
0: And uh, so when, tell me where to show up to for the next, for my gig or whatever. Uh, So obviously there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. You know, that's sort of the starting block, right? They're allowed to race the race now. So, but it's not, the race is completed. It's they're allowed to get at the starting block. So what's sort of the shortest time that you've broken a writer into the industry and more realistically, what is the longest time it's taking you to sort of break a writer?
1: I mean, the short answer is, is an easier one. That would be um, I signed a client off of uh, who I found off the blacklist website. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget exactly when I signed her, but I want to say less than six months later, we had her staffed at a Netflix show, and that was like astonishing, honestly. Right. We got her an a- I got her an agent within like three months or something like that of signing her um and then um I I think we worked on her pilot a bit you know um and then she was staffed like I want to say I signed her like in August and she was staffed by January or I signed her in September and she was staffed by January Mm -hmm. it was pretty it was it was the first job she ever went up for she I think both me and her agent were a little not stunned is the wrong word like we didn't think she could we didn't know how good she was we we both knew how talented she was but you know it can sometimes take a long time for people to kind of see the see what we see, you know, or, or the right match. So that was the fastest. And that was like, Whoa. Um, and then, you know, there are clients I've had for like since I became a manager four years or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've been a manager for like six years, but like I have had them for like four or five years and, um, and uh, you know, they still haven't really broken if you want to, want to kind of turn it, but I still believe in them and we're still pushing forward and, you know, they have various things in state, various stages. Um, but yeah, I had a client I signed in like I want to say like 2016 or 2017, and they just got staffed on their first show, a Netflix show, which is great. Um, you know, and so that that was really exciting to see it kind of finally kind of work out. And yeah, you know, so it can it can take definitely take can definitely take years. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, and you know, it's it is one of those interesting things. You know, we had a client um, who we recently parted ways with, um, and you know. They had a first group we ever worked on with them, um, got on the blacklist, got a huge producer involved. Um, and then they came to us uh, recently and were like, and they just didn't, they felt like they hadn't reached their career where they wanted to be. They hadn't, you know, not enough things that happened and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. To be fair, they'd only written one script and that was that one script. And so, you know, it is dependent upon writing more than one piece of material in my personal opinion. And people say, why am I not, Sell, why not making any more money it's also like well you know i can only sell you with the tools that you give me mm-hmm. um so you know sometimes it's just one script that's all you need to like launch a career but that's that's a rare situation you know um so yeah it's, it's a difficult business and i think sometimes people's expectations are a little thrown out of whack um which is disappointing but you know that that it's a, it's a it's also why I talk about, you know, when I'm looking at a potential client, I'm looking at their talent, uh, which is how good they are on the page. And that's the first thing I look for. And that's the reason I take the meeting, right, is that the script is good. And then I'm saying, OK, is this person um, ambitious and driven? Um, and also, what is their attitude? Do they have a good attitude? Do they have a collaborative attitude? Do they, are they in it for the long term, um, you know, where it's, it's where I feel like they're going to be able to kind of weather the storm, um, and, you know, and the dashed expectations. Oh, I got a big actor, director wants to do my movie. And then they drop out. Um, like it just happens so often. And, and, you know, sometimes people, expectations can can get the better of them. Mm-hmm.
0: You had mentioned you and Kate signing a new writer who was an assistant on a TV series. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to jump to the writer who had said had broken in and gotten their first staffing job in six months. Sure. And I wanted to just ask quickly, did that writer have a bunch of industry contacts had they nope. so that they started from scratch. she wasn't even living in new york she, lived, wow. sorry,
1: she wasn't even living in l.a she lived in new york and she worked in the finance industry and mm-hmm. had been an investment banker and other stuff for wow. about 10 years she wrote a script inspired by her experiences mm-hmm. it, it got uh, on the blacklist uh you know recommends list i read it i loved it she happened to be in l.a i think to take meetings like this or whatever we met we loved it we really clicked um and, you know, she decided to move to LA even before we got her staff. It was, she was in a, I think she was in a flux period in her life anyways. But yeah, no, I was, I think the first industry person she, that is a pure blacklist website success story. That is, she didn't know anybody.
0: That's, that's amazing.
1: Or if she knew somebody, I don't, I'm not really sure who those people were, but no, her entire, she'd been working in, um, uh, in the finance world for right. 10 years in investment banking, um, uh, star, kind of, uh, VC work, lots of different, really, and just to be fair, that's what her pilot was about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really a world that she com- came from, but she was a phenomenal writer and phenomenal in the room. Although the thing she first got staffed on was a YA uh, romance. So go figure. It wasn't even like some kind of, it wasn't like she got staffed on billions or
0: something. Right, right. Um,
1: which you would think would be a more natural fit.
0: Uh, I, and I wanted to go back to the other side of the coin. The writer who took four years to get their opportunity their stuff and gig or whatever what keeps both of you in that meaning it's easy for a rep you don't seem to be that type of rep fortunately uh who you don't i send you out on some generals you don't get any traction you don't you send a few pitches i'm not doing anything for you because i don't make any money off you so send me something when you have it i'll I'll shotgun it out you are definitely a more developmental manager which i respect but On the other side, as a writer, it can get sort of discouraging too. So in terms of that relationship, what did they do to keep you interested and motivated? And vice versa, what did you do to try to keep them sort of motivated to keep writing and not sort of fall into a funk because it it does take years. And it's easy to think that, oh, I have a rep now. I should be working at some point. Why are you not doing this for me? I mean, look,
1: generally, I am a somewhat laissez-faire manager in the sense that like, if I'm working with a client and I don't hear from them for months, unless there's something specifically I'm expecting from them. Mm-hmm. And this is a client who like is not working or whatever, like they've got whatever they've got their life. Right. But it's not, I'm not like, Hey, like Paramount's wondering where that assignment is. You know, if they're more established. I might be like, Hey, like what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's someone who, you know, is still kind of trying to break in as it were, honestly, like I'm leaving it in their camp, you know, like when they bring me a new script, I'm going to read it. Uh, ASAP, when they bring me into it, like I'm pretty responsive as a manager, um, you know, I generally respond within a day or two to emails um, and all that kind of with, new, with, with anything really, um, unless there's like, you know, exceptional circumstances. Um, so I'm pretty responsive, but I don't find it's my business to chase people down or, or, or be their pep coach, if I'm being really honest, you know? Sure. If they're not writing or doing anything writing related, Okay. I mean, again, it tells me something about who they are and how they approach the industry. Um, you know, uh, I also have a fair number of clients. And so I'm, I'm going to be focusing on the people who are who responding to me. and Well, people who are reaching out to me and wanting something from me or like, mm-hmm. Hey, I have a new idea. Or I've written a new script, or this is going on or that going on. And that specific circumstance, it didn't really fit kind of what you're describing. I mean, it, there are other circumstances that have that client, you know, been on the imagine impact list was working as a working assistant on an, on, a, on a tv show was really out there, writing new material all the time incredibly driven um hustling networking person um you know the job that he ended up getting came through his agent um but i'm sure you know i believe the relationships that he forged an assistant and otherwise i think those some of those people put a call at least one of them put an email in or call in, even though she didn't necessarily know the showrunner and said, Hey, I want to vouch for this person. He's great. He's a great writer. I've worked with him. He's excellent. Um, You know, whether that got him the job or not, who knows? Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, so he was always, there was never any question that he was really pushing things forward and, but it was tough at times and we had to kind of talk through and be like, Hey, it's tough. And this is how it is. Um, Mm -hmm. And to be honest with you, he's so talented and had been so had won so many different um, fellowships and well, not scholarships and trying to look like programs and things like that, that like, I was like, I was kind of shocked uh, at, um, at the situation, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but it, you know, it, it's really hard to, I have another client who just got staffed this year as well on a pay TV um, uh, show for her first job. And she was on the blacklist previously. And I'm honestly a little surprised it took her that long to get staffed because she's a phenomenal writer. She's great in the room. Um, she's worked on a bunch of shows and so but you just don't know my only thing I can ever do is find a writer that I believe in I believe in their talent I also believe in their attitude and their ability and their personality and just keep putting them in situations where I hope they'll succeed Mm -hmm. Um, and that's maybe why I mean yes, guess I'm more of a developmental manager but I'm also the kind of person where you know with key exceptions um, if I believe in someone I'm going to stay believing in them Um, you know obviously sometimes there have been times where they've done stuff that I have like, OK, I don't feel like we're the right match anymore mm-hmm. or the material has gone down, down the road, is slid down, in my personal opinion, or we have different visions of the strategy. So sometimes things do occur. Um, but, you know, I, I don't tend to drop people that often. Um, you know, it does. Sometimes it happens, you know, you haven't heard from someone in two years and they send you a new script and you're like, OK, I don't know what, to, you know, <laughs> so it does it does happen. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But my, you know, more than often than not, I'm like, well, I believe in someone, I believe in them. Um, And that doesn't mean it's like a lifetime pass or something. Mm -hmm. But I'm also not, I have friends who are at larger management companies, and there's a lot of pressure on them to keep the list as um, short as possible. And I don't have any pressure. And I also don't put any pressure whatsoever on my colleagues at Bellevue. If they want to sign someone, they sign someone. If they want to drop someone, they drop someone or anything. I will never be like, there are other companies where they make you go through your list, Mm -hmm. you know, once a year or something and justify every single person. I don't. I don't ever ask my, my colleagues to justify anything. If they believe in that person, that's justification enough for me. I just. I believe if you hire people, you trust in their judgment. So no, that's great. That's where I leave it.
0: Yeah, that's refreshing and and uh, very cool. Uh, high concept. So we hear that a lot. What is high concept? You know, what is a high concept script, an idea, and why are they so popular, with studios and networks?
1: I think the, it's, it's, a, it's an idea that a high concept idea is, a, is an idea that within hearing it, um, you immediately feel like you can see the movie. And some mm-hmm. people are like, well, here's a movie and it's about a guy and his daughter's kidnapped. And he has to rescue her. You're like, can't you see the movie? It's taken. I'm like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly taken. Um, and they think it means like something generic. Mm-hmm. What it means, what it more, more often than not means is a novel spin on a familiar genre Hmm. um and so you know that is kind of like the smart way to kind of think about things it's single white female but in the world of fashion models or something i don't know that just that's i don't even know that's particularly high concept but like you know it's like it's it's this but that you know edge of tomorrow it's groundhog's day meets an alien invasion movie right know, it's like oh oh, okay that's a different way into that thing Mm -hmm. uh you know that's always um I remember uh, when I heard the concept for the Princess, which is the new Joey King movie for Hulu, um, uh, that Jake Thornton and, and L- Thornton and Lustig wrote. I was like, "Oh my god, that's brilliant! It's The Raid meets Rapunzel." Mm-hmm. You know, it's you know the the you know The Raid being a movie where you have to kind of fight for it through every floor of a building to get there. Except in this case, it's Rapunzel because Rapunzel's locked up in a tower and she has to kick some ass to free herself. I'm like, "Oh, that's great because it matches up." A familiar Rapunzel with a different kind of thing, you know, somewhat familiar, the raid, and also speaks to like, okay, instead of being rescued, I am my own rescuer, which mm-hmm. is really interesting. To be fair, I've never read the script and I've only seen the trailer for the movie, but it, it's a great idea. Those guys in general, are, I think are really good at high concept ideas, which is taking the familiar and doing a spin on it. And the familiar doesn't mean you have to do like a Santa Claus origin story, which they did. You don't have to do that, but it can mean like, okay, I'm gonna take a genre, an alien invasion movie and do a spin on it from a different movie or approach it from a different point of view or I would argue that Rosencrantz and Guildenstern in a way are dead is is a high concept idea which is it's Hamlet told from the point of view of two of the supporting characters Hmm. Um, so you know it's one of those things that people feel like they can market easily because it, it feels like a very interesting idea from from the conception level alone something like um you know trying to think of something a little more straightforward almost like whiplash although as much as i love whiplash whiplash is a jazz drummer struggles to succeed under the you know guidance or tutorial or whatever of an exacting cruel teacher you know you're like okay that's different like not to say it's super familiar but to some degree it's really up to the execution of that idea um so yeah
0: right whereas speed is die hard on a bus absolutely
1: yeah. Well, not. But not even that. No, no. Speeder. It's dire. The real trick of speed is, you know, a ch- you know, a, a cop is trapped on a bus with you know forty passengers. If that bus dips below fifty-five, they mm-hmm. all die.
0: Right. And you know exactly what you're getting with that.
1: And you're also like, oh my god, how are they getting out of that? Mm-hmm. You know?
0: Yeah. Um.
1: It's a cliffhanger, but as an idea, as a concept for <laughs> a movie.
0: Yeah, not the movie, but yeah. Uh, so we're getting some audience questions, but we've got to work our way through. We've got another one here that I wanted to uh, ask you before we start getting some of these audience questions. Um, Social media. Uh, You're very active on the Twitters. Uh, What pitfalls should writers be aware of when they are present on and posting on social media to avoid issues down the road besides being a jerk to everyone and things like that? But
1: Uh, I mean, first thing I would say is like, sometimes people feel like they need to have a social media brand or presence. You do not at all Um, Mm. is not necessary. If I Google someone, they don't have a Twitter or Instagram or whatever. I'm not like, oh, well, I'm not signing this person. It doesn't matter. Uh, uh, I'm sure there are cases where people's social media brand has been a plus for their career. Uh, I would say those are probably the exceptions. If it's like for me, um, being on Twitter and stuff. Um, I mean, maybe it's been helpful in terms of like people knowing more about me. I could easily see it as being a negative as well, but really, so the social media has been a plus for me on a personal level where I've gotten to meet and get to know a lot of new friends and people like that. So it's been a plus for me on a personal level, professional level is arguable whether it has or not. Mm -hmm. And I think that same is true for writers. Don't get into social media looking to expand your professional brand Cause it could really easily do the inverse look to it. If you get, if you yourself get something out of it, out of the camaraderie, the community things like that. Um, uh, I was just talking to a, a fellow manager yesterday um, and he was like, Oh yeah, the first thing I did about this writer was Google them. And I found their Twitter and it seemed kind of weird, honestly, mm-hmm. you know? And, and the, yeah, it's look, if you were going to go on a date with somebody and you found out their full name, first thing you do is Google them. Or you're, gonna, you're gonna going to, you're going to go in for a job interview with somebody. You Google, like it's the easiest thing in the world to do, you know, whatever happened to my old high school girlfriend or boyfriend, I'm going to Google them. Like, come on. And anyone who, anyone who thinks that reps and maybe even, I don't know, I don't know if executives and producers do it. They might, they might not. Um, I do have a friend who uh, was a producer is and was a producer and he was on Twitter and uh, he, or he followed a writer who he had a project with. And then after the meeting, the writer uh, they had a meeting together discuss the discuss the project and after the meeting the writer would be like just got out of the worst meeting with the producer God this guy knows nothing it was something like that mm-hmm. and he was like uh should we talk you know oh I said my friend's name um but uh, uh then anyways um you know it's one of those things where um it's one of those things where uh, where you know um that was not a good move on the on the part of the writer um so anyways um. Yeah, it's just one of those things where I, I, you know, if you're all going around trashing a movie or being negative, uh, you know, people can notice it. Um, So uh, yeah, I think it, it, I would treat it as a personal, uh, something you can grow from personally. I don't know, I don't know 100%. I'm sure there are people who've grown from it professionally. I just can't think of any examples that I personally personally have witnessed um, of my clients or so on. But I would say there is a fair amount of potential, I mean, people will make snap judgments from you based mm-hmm. on your Twitter, um, the same way that you would make snap judgments about them. Um, and that doesn't mean that like, you can't be yourself and say what you want to say, but like, you can say what you want to say, but don't, but people also have the, have the have the freedom to make judgments about you based on what you're
0: saying. Right. So. And sometimes it's human nature, right? To- I'm sure
1: there are people who would not want to be rep by me based on things I've said on Twitter. And that is the risk that I have run. Um, and I have to be aware of that. And I have to, I don't know if I'd say be okay with it, but I, it certainly is. If I was not on Twitter, there are probably people who either have no opinion of me or have a, maybe a better opinion of me. I have no doubt, you know? <laughs> right.
0: Uh, Okay. We're going to jump to a few uh, questions of folks in the chat uh, before we jump into our topic of the day. Um, Let's see. uh, Himson Chan says, in that same vein, if you were interested in meeting a potential client after reading them, did you prefer an in-person meeting or over Zoom?
1: I have to say Zoom at this point. It's just Mm -hmm. so much easier, you know, in-person it's just, you know, like a lot of times I have to like move a meeting like an hour or like before half an hour before the meeting or something it's very easy to do in Zoom. It's much more painful to do in person. Um, so I, I, I mean, the, the answer is since the pandemic began, I've not had an in-person um, signing meeting. So that should give you an idea of the situation.
0: Right. Uh, Brooks Reynolds asks, if you could go back in time to sign one writer or filmmaker, who would it be? And what criteria did you use to make the decision purely financial success versus being a personal fan of their work? That's a really good question that I've never heard before. That's kind of interesting.
1: Uh, I mean, assuming this is like not like the person that I didn't sign and I regret it now. Um, So not that there's a lot of those, honestly. Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, like, it's also like, am I the same age that I am now? Can I go back and sign Shane Black in the 80s? Like, I don't know. Like, it's an interesting.
0: Let's say uh, anybody from you know, Howard Hawks to Steven Spielberg to... I mean, that's crazy. I don't,
1: <laughs> I don't even know how to end. That one, I don't... I'd rather just stay within my own career or something. Right. Um, I mean, like, the first person that came to mind is, like, Ari Aster. Um, hmm. But, like, to be fair, like, I met his manager, like, before Ari was anybody, and he was repping Ari at the time, and he was doing a great job. So I, it's, it's a weird thing to say, hmm. um, honestly. I You know what? I don't even... I, that's a question I, I'd, I'd have to think about before I gave a, a, an answer that wasn't just a flippant one. You right. Know? So it's a good question, though. i never thought about yeah. it.
0: Maybe post it on uh, Twitter so we can all, when you figured okay. it out. Sir, I'm going to
1: post my answer so we can be like, that's the answer John gave. Interesting. Right. Okay. Very yeah, exactly. You Tell broke, broke a lot your social, media, yeah, social media violation.
0: Oh, I'm not, I don't want to send my script to him any longer. Well, uh, okay. that's who he likes as a filmmaker? Right. Interesting. Uh, David Wales, uh, our good buddy David Wales uh, asks, why do you think writers struggle so much with log lines?
1: I think uh, it's an unfortunate thing that they do um, because they're like, I think there's a, th- a thought out there in the writing community, hmm. more in the less pro, not pro, whatever whatever you want to call it, pre pro world than in the pro world. But even in the pro world, like when we talk to log lines, there are some. Um, pro writers who were very proudly like, I don't do log ones. I have my reps to that. That's fine. Mm -hmm. And like, personally, like being a writer is not just writing the screenplay, which I think someone said, he's like, I write the screenplay. That's it. It's not, you know, but there's like so many other documents you have to write all along the way. You know, it's the pitch you give in person that convinces them to go with your take. It's being in a meeting and the director says, Hey, what if we made everyone a talking animal? And you're like, actually, here's why that's not a great idea. You know, and you have to do these things. And so I think there's just so many aspects of writing. that's not just being on the page. And I think the log line is part of that. And to me, and I know Ian Shore feels very similar to me, the log line is a way of crystallizing the idea and being like, is there enough conflict here? Is this idea interesting interesting enough to like make a dent in the marketplace? Does this feel novel enough? Should I keep working on this and finding a new angle into this? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I come from. I, I think it's an important tool and skill set to learn Um, I think unfortunately people think that like writing is just opening final draft and like pouring your heart out and Mm -hmm. I think it's a profession it's a job you know that's like saying I'm an architect all I do is build houses and it's like okay well how do you you know like you also have to like meet clients and then you have to like when people say like what's your vision for the house you can't be like here's the blueprints what do you want from me right you know (laughs) I don't know. It's, it's what it is. They'll probably be like, well, I see this in a, in a, in a modern Mediterranean style with maybe a dash of mm-hmm. like farmhouse or whatever, you know, like being a, a professional is selling and selling yourself, you know, and that's true of, of everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, it's like why when a plumber comes, you, you know, maybe you judge them by the fact that they're wearing, you know, very, very dirty overalls and they're, and, they're, and they have a broken down truck as opposed to someone who shows up in a very clean truck with a nice big logo and, they're immaculate. The, the, the dirty person might be a better plumber um, than the other person, but we judge based on appearances. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, I mean, that sounds like different, but my point being that you're always selling yourself and your skills and that I think a logline is a version of selling yourself. And also, I think it can be a useful tool. Um, but I think there is a, a thought process out there or, or a philosophy that mm-hmm. writing is merely what's on the page and anything beyond that is beyond the purview of being a writer. I don't mm-hmm. believe that to be true personally.
0: Right. Uh let's see here. Glenn Toussaint uh has an idea for the high concept groundhog day plus alien invasion equals edge of tomorrow.
1: Yeah, that's what I said.
0: Uh let's see here. David MLS. The general minimum <coughs> length for a feature is 40 minutes. Uh I guess that's by film festivals. What? Yeah, I don't know many 40 minutes. The minute minimum features, length for
1: a feature is 40 I, I think minutes.
0: maybe that's for like film festival um acceptance, maybe. Maybe I've said, but I, I don't know many. That I, I don't think that's that true there, buddy.
1: That's certainly not what it said in the, in the, whenever I've signed a deal for a, for a, with a major studio for a motion picture where they, they specify the length of the movie in there. Like you must deliver a feature at least 85 minutes long or something.
0: Um, well, his question, I guess, David's question is, what's the shortest feature you've ever sold? Is it horrible that my current script might end up around 45 to 50 pages?
1: Yes. That's not a movie. <laughs> it's not straight up, man. It's not, that's not a movie. It's not a movie. Never seen a movie 45 minutes long. That would be called a feature film yeah,
0: ever. No, that,
1: I would say the minimum length is probably like 85.
0: The only way I guess a 45 to 50 page script could be a feature is if there's no dialogue and it's all action. Maybe I'm not what, saying, what would that even be? What I don't is that, know. What is that, like a I don't know.
1: Movie? Like,
0: I'm just trying no, to, it's not a movie, man. Sounds like a really long short, or you need more. I'm sure there. there's some, I'm sure
1: you'd be like, well, the Fury yeah. Road thing was all storyboards. Okay, cool. But you're not George Miller making the fourth movie oh, in the franchise. Yeah. So that's not a movie. Sorry, man.
0: Um. Okay. Now we're going to jump into our segment, our topic of the day. And then there's some more questions. I see your question, Ross G and Himson and Andrea. So we'll, we'll come back to you guys in just a minute. But I wanted to, before we uh, start running out of time here, our topic of the day, you have, talked about writing with intention quite a bit and I think that that's it's super important to get to Um, your section of your Twitter thread compilation which is on our site you can go check that out or you know obviously on your Twitter there's links to it you can download it it's great a lot of great stuff on there and it's something that's super important and relevant for uh, most sort of newer writers (laughs) Uh, not that writers shouldn't be shouldn't write what they want to write they should absolutely write what they're passionate about but most a lot there of are a lot of things it. you can be passionate about sure absolutely but i mean other than i like this idea and i want to write it hopefully there's more than to it than that right uh and i think they're doing themselves a disservice I think that's the difference between them. a professional and exactly so can you go can you go into a little bit more depth on what does that actually mean writing with sure. intention other than my intention is to sell it so i'm writing something that someone i want someone to buy right what what it, what do you mean by that if you're
1: building something, a product for a marketplace, but you never think about what the marketplace wants, then you end up on Shark Tank as like the joke product, as they say. You fixed a, you've solved a problem that didn't need solving. You know, um, I mean, like that's that's how I kind of think about it. Now, look, people can write whatever they want. I'm sure they'd be like, "Well, so and so wrote this, and they never thought anything would come of it," but, and that's fine. Like it can happen, absolutely. You yeah. know. Um, but really what I'm talking about, and it's, it's pretty, you know, if you're writing something, where is it taking your career? Like, I remember talking to a friend who was a manager and he was like, oh, my client wants to write this music biopic. I was like, oh, because my clients have written lots of music biopics. He's like, what do you think? I'm like, sure. Yeah, maybe. I'm like, but I was like, well, does this client want to in future write more music biopics? Oh, no, they're a horror writer. They just want to get on the blacklist. And I was like, well, then what's the point? Because. You know if they write a music biopic and it gets in the blacklist all their meetings are going to be based around that music biopic and they're getting the room with people who want music biopics and they'll be like cool i read horror movies and they're like well why am i talking to you and so that's a pretty obvious one but like question you want to ask yourself is does this concept where do i once the script is done and if it's how do i see it being successful and if it is successful where where does my career go from there? And is it going in the direction that I want it to go? If I want to get more into studio movies, you probably don't want to write a $3 million indie movie. You know, if you want, like we have a client right now that we've signed, and they've written a lot of really good scripts. And the feature we're going to be taking out of theirs is a relatively contained thriller, probably under $10, under $50 million, $15 million thriller. But they want to get into studio writing. So the next idea we're working on is a relatively high concept idea that has a budget probably of like, 30, 40, $50 million plus. And hopefully it sells because we think it's a really cool idea. But regardless, it's the kind of script that down the road we can use that to get the meetings at studios and with studio-based producers. And when there is a studio assignment, we say, oh, you should read this script of theirs. It's a great sample for that kind of writing. Um, You know, it's not to say that you can't write a great smaller movie and that can be a sample for a larger film. That does happen. Um, But, you know, it's really great if you have the right, Exact right tool for the exact right situation. Um, it could be harder for people to read a, you know, a really low budget teen drama and be like, "Cool, you're the perfect person to write this alien invasion hundred million dollar movie." You know, it can happen, but it, you know, it's it's harder. You're putting a you're putting a lot more pressure um, on them and them being able to like see things than than you know than maybe uh, you know you might want. Um, so it's really about Finger at the concept for the script and being like, okay, if if this script is successful, does it take my career in a direction that I would want it to go in? You know, like Elise wrote um, *Blonde Ambition*, and but she loves music. She loves music movies. She's written music biopics since. You're the Amy Winehouse biopic. She's written like a dance movie murder mystery called *Murder in the Dance Floor*. She's written, you know, she co-wrote Guys, the most recent adaptation of Guys and Dolls with Bill Condon. So she's written a lot. Of, she's written other stuff that's not music related, um, but Queens of the Stone Age and things like that. But like, you know, and she just sold a couple of things and none of them were music related. But like she did like music. And so and she still gets brought a lot of music stuff. And so that was something of the path that she was interested in. And so one ambition was like music. Yes, but it was also female driven kind of stories and like that was also obviously something she was very excited about um and so you know that kind of launched her career in that way I think it would have been a disservice if she's like I don't want to write what I really want to write are small you know low budget horror movies people would be like oh okay well then why didn't you write one of those Mm -hmm. um and so I think it's you know I think there's a lot out there that's about um hey, you just write what you want. And that's fine. But, the, you know, hopefully there's like more than one idea that you really want to write. And Now, look, if you really, really want to write something, go ahead and do it. But don't be surprised if down the road, you know, people are like, okay, cool. I've read this thing. I want you to write something in the vein of it. Or, you know, I don't want to buy this. Or, it, it, you know, you're like, I, I wrote this, you know, $100 million movie, but I want to go make it independently. Like, you know, you kind of have to think about like, okay, once the script is written, where does it go from there? Where, yeah. where does it take my career? Is it taking my career where in my overall strategy I want it to go?
0: Now, suppose a writer has a few areas that they enjoy work writing, whether it's, again, music and biopics, historical fiction and fantasy, whatever it happens to be. How does one write with intention while being cognizant of the marketplace and selecting what would be the most, which one would have the most Potential. Uh, you are you asking me like, how yeah, judge commercial potential of ideas. Well, I mean, is there a, a way, or what way would you give offer advice to a writer who may enjoy writing a number of different specific genres? Uh, how to gauge, or how to figure out, or how to sort of look at the marketplace and. And think, obviously not chasing trends. Nobody says you should do that. You should absolutely not do that because you're just piling into a a pool that's already full. But is there a way for uh, a newer writer to sort of look at the marketplace and say, okay, this would be a tougher sell because of blah, 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 blah. Or this would be, whereas, but they're all areas that they're passionate about. How can they narrow it down?
1: The simple answer is what kind of moves are getting made? Right. You wouldn't, this is shocking, but I guess it happens. Talk to people, I'm like, and they're like, blah, 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 this movie. And I'm like, well, that movie doesn't really get made anymore. You know, that they've made that kind of movie since the 70s or the 80s. Right. I don't watch new movies, I only watch movies from the 70s. Well, cool. Like, that's not what, that's not how it's going. You you need to be watching, you know, television shows or movies that are modern and being like, what is getting made in the marketplace? Now, look, if you write a Western, and you're aware that that westerns, feature westerns, are a harder thing to get made. I mean, it does happen, but it does certainly doesn't happen with the regularity it once did. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that, and you're just writing it with that knowledge. Then okay, then know that you're writing something that is a difficult. If you're just writing it for you, and it could just maybe at best be a writing sample. Even as a writing sample, it's tricky because people read and be like, okay, this is period, and this is a western. I don't 100% know that like, this is a good, a, 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 what is it a good sample for? I'm mm-hmm. not really sure, you know? There are times when people could read and be like, oh, I, I see the I see how this could be helpful for a modern thriller, but like, as a sample. But mm-hmm. again, it requires something of them to do. Right. Um, you just have to look at what's getting made and, and, and cast your judgments accordingly. To some degree, what I say as my job as a manager is to set expectations correctly. Um, and if someone comes to me and says, I want to write, an a $80 million Western, I'd be like, look, it's going to be really hard to sell. But if you mm-hmm. want to write it, you can write it, but just know that as long as they, if they write it and then come to me and said, Hey, why isn't this sold yet? I thought this was a slam dunk. Then like they played themselves, you know, like I told, I, I try to set expectations accordingly. Mm-hmm. And I also know like, there's not going to be a lot of people that are going to want to read that because they're like, we don't do Westerns. We certainly don't do $80 million Westerns, right. you know? Right. It's not a lot of producers who are going to want to read that. And there's not a lot of buyers who are even remotely going to be interested in that. And right. So if, if you know that, then know, then, then do that. And then and come up the other side and you're like, yo, I wrote that thing. What now? And I'm like, well, maybe write something. That's more in the vein of what you have this thing. And I'm sure you I hope you enjoyed the writing of it. And I hope you enjoy reading it and having it. And maybe one day the right opportunity will, will strike like a lottery ticket, but more often than not, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be hard to get anything done with that you probably need to go write another script that, mm-hmm you know, at the end of the day, it's about getting the writer paid. That is the job. And so you either have to write something that people want to put money into, um, in, in hopes of getting it made, whether that's buying the script, optioning the script or trying to finance the movie or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, or you have to write something that gives people the belief that down the road, you could write a movie for them that they do think could get made, you know? Um, and often, it's easier when someone writes something that is more in the vein of the kind of thing that gets made to write and not to get paid to write a script. That's the kind of thing. I mean, or if you write something very, very uncommercial, it makes people think, well, I don't know if this person wants to write commercial films. That's not a one-to-one correlation. There have been other times when people have written quote unquote, uncommercial things and got hired for assignments and things like that. But it's rare, you know, mm. I mean, you judge people based on their past work and their past work was uncommercial. Then Oftentimes, you know, you feel like that is what they like to do, and maybe you don't want to give them a hundred thousand dollars to write an uncommercial script that you can't recoup the money from.
2: Right, it
0: never gets made. Right. Um, we've got some more questions from the chat here. <clears throat> Ross G says, "There's been a lot of negativity and doom and gloom about the industry from writing communities recently." specifically in screenwriting Reddit, less opportunities pay, et cetera. Um, I guess, oh, as as someone with a finger on the pulse of the industry, what is your general outlook on the future of feature films and the opportunities that'll exist for novice feature writers?
1: I mean, I think it's as hard right now as it's ever been um, in the industry to sell things and get things made. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of um, tumult and chaos happening. I mean, you know, Netflix is obviously trying to refigure out who they are and what's going on. Uh, Warner Brothers is in the middle of uh, a vast leadership change. MGM is being absorbed into Amazon. Um, Fox no longer exists as a studio. I mean, Twentieth is making movies, but almost primarily for Hulu, um, entirely. So, you know, it's 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 hard. They're making much fewer movies. I do think there's more opportunities in television. But even then, those opportunities are okay. You're going to be on an eight-episode show or a 12-episode show, mm-hmm. um, and you know, and that show may not come back for another year. So you have to go work on one or two or three other shows in the meantime before you even find out that show's getting renewed. Um, I think it's harder for assistants to climb that ladder because of those shorter orders, um, at least in those kind of cable streaming shows as opposed to network, um, which there are fewer networks. Um, I don't think the CW is going to exist uh, in a year or two. I think it'll be sold. That's pretty obvious at this point. Um, I think Netflix is going to order less series. You know, there's just less opportunities out there. I think that unfortunately is just the nature of the industry. Um, I do think if you are getting into the industry, you have to be more aware of that and more calculating than ever. I think there's this idea that's risen. It's a pretty recent idea, honestly, if you think about it. I don't think people were heading to Hollywood in the 1950s or 60s being like, I have a dream and that dream is to like, have my voice be on screen? I mean, maybe they were, but it feels like there was a real boom in the '80s and '90s, coming off of the spec market boom. Um, that you know, you could come to Hollywood and write your art. And Hollywood screenwriting in Hollywood has never been about art; it's always been about commerce. I mean, you go watch Sunset Boulevard, or you know, any movie about screenwriting, and it's pretty obvious that like they're not interested in your art; they're interested in making movies and make money. It's pretty explicit. Um, and I think you have to approach it like you do any other job, which is how do I give myself the best chance at success? You know, we've, uh, there's a stat that's gone around a very a lot, which is there are more players in the NFL than there are working feature writers in the WGA West. And so, you know, if you're trying to get to the NFL, you wouldn't be like, yo, I'm here, I'm here, I'm talented, what do you want from me? You know, right. you would approach it with you, your entire life would be geared towards it and towards You know, if you I don't really follow football at all, but I'm sure there are different. um, I know there are different positions that have different that are strategies have changed. Oh, well, this is expected to be what a running back is. Well, what a running back is today is what's different. It's different from what it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And you don't be like, well, I play running back the way they did in the 70s. Mm -hmm. You know, no, no, no. There's a new job and you train yourself and your skills towards that. And I think if you want to be in this business, you have to treat it like a business. You can't treat it like an art form. Um, or a hobby um, that's just it that doesn't mean that if you write a screenplay as a hobby it can't sell or get made that could absolutely happen but to have a long-standing career that goes on for years and years you have to treat it like a business you know it's the same as as any job where there are ups and downs and there, there's a fair amount of luck and there's a fair amount of hard work and and, and things like that you know and this and there's absolutely no guarantees
0: yeah. And to expand on your football analogy, it would be like in the eighties, uh, the, it, there was a lot of eye formation where you had a fullback and a running back in the backfield and the fullback would block for the running back. You know, they would like run through holes and the fullback would run first and then the running back would run after him, the tailback. But now it's a lot of single back formations because you have extra receivers because it's a lot more passing oriented. So you just have a single. So if you're a fullback and there's two teams in the NFL that still have fullbacks, you're going to have a harder time than, you know, switching to a different position or finding a different niche because that really isn't used anymore. That, that position is not really around much. Um,
1: I barely understood that, but I can't.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Let's see. uh, Himson Chan uh, says if we're in a position where we are feeling multiple offers interest from managers, what's your advice on differentiating between a good manager and who's the right manager for me?
1: Hopefully it's the same thing. Um, I mean, look, my, my, my baseline that I tell people, even when they meet with me is Mm -hmm. take your time, but don't take too long. I think taking months to make a decision is, um, uh, uh, not polite. It's like dating, right? Like Mm -hmm. you can go on like multiple dates, you know, let's say you go on dates with three people in a month, but you don't want to like not get back to them for three months or they'll have moved on or they'll like, there's a lack of connection or whatever. Like, Oh, okay. You, huh? Mm -hmm. What? Um, so, I mean, at, at a general level, I think you have to go with the person that you have the best personal connection with, but I think you should be very diligent about understanding, okay, what's your strategy for my career, what's the next steps, what do we do next, what do we do this, what, you know, really suss out, like, what's the plan. You know, what's the plan? What's the first script we're taking out? If there's not one, what's what? how what, would we develop something together? Then what we do, are we focusing on television or features? What are the tools we're doing it? We're bringing an agent into the, the mix. Do you see me as a studio writer, an independent writer? You know, what's the strategy? And being really, really diligent about understanding what that strategy is mm-hmm. um, and deciding that strategy is one that you agree with and you understand and you believe in. And then I also tell people, you have to listen to your gut. And if your gut is telling you, um, I don't really trust this person, or I don't feel comfortable with this person, or I, you know, this person doesn't view my career the same way that I view it, then that's probably a problem. I advise people not to be, and it's it's a hard one. It's one of the hardest things I've ever faced personally. Not for me at this point, because I'm pretty aware of things, but I think writers and directors and actors can get very dazzled by what the, who the company is. And I'm Mm -hmm. repped at the same management company as Emma Stone, Cool, like, so what, you know? Uh, I mean, look, if that's the right company for you, then phenomenal, you know, um, but like it doesn't mean anything. Um, what is important is that your relationship with your representative, not what the company is. And I think that's a very hard thing for people. Most often what I see is that there are multiple. This is less a thing in management, although it does happen, but it really happens in the agency world. If senior WME get involved, they're going to go with that over the smaller agency. Not always, but I would say. 70, 60, 70, 80% of the time, the writer will go with the larger agency. I think maybe because they want to tell, because they figure, well, they're successful or reason, or Mm -hmm. they're, you know, and like, and sometimes they are the right person. Sometimes they're not, but it's really about the person, the agent or the manager, Um, same thing with a producer, honestly. It's about the person and and, and, and that, it's not about the company. And but I think that's the biggest mistake people make is signing with a company. And it's, and by the way, that's like, that's a reason that why comp of those companies I think the best job some companies have done is, is promoting themselves as a company um, and making people feel like if I'm at here I'll have the career that so and so also had. And it's not a given. It's really about the person. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly about the person or the people. It would multiple multiple people. So right. that would be it. I, I but I would you have to be very diligent in sussing out what what the situation is and what right. the strategy is.
0: Um so we got off to a little bit of a late start and but it's 11 now. So I wanted to find out from you if you're still good to I go for a little bit. Here. Okay. Great. Uh good sport as always. Uh generous with his time. Let's see here. Simba Dbinga. Hey Simba, uh I narrowed down the scripts I put out there to three that have constantly gotten great coverage. Things being equal, should I pitch what I think is most commercial or awards friendly? You mean oh,
1: commercial or words friendly? Is that the either or? Uh,
0: yeah, I, I would think so. Because, I mean, they're not necessarily diametrically opposed, but usually you don't think of one with the other per se, hand in hand always. I um, mean, my
1: whole thing is you just have to pitch the script that you're, I know people are like, well, I like all of them. But you have to pitch the script that you are most proud of, that you most feel represents you as a writer. Because, mm-hmm. like, wouldn't you rather, like, Fail on you. I was talking about something. Would you rather fail in your own terms or succeed in your own terms? If you, if you, if your, if your friends say, "Hey, script A is the best," but you think script C is the best, but you send out script A as like in your queries and stuff like that, and no one responds, are you going to be like, "Well, I should have gone with script C. I knew it." You know, I think you have to try. I think you have to trust your own judgments on that. Um, and so, I get it's like. I could say commercial, but then your commercial script could be the most generic one and your kind of awards-friendly one could be the more interesting one or vice versa, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's hard to say uh, in, in absence of specific things. And that by the way does not mean please like put the log lines in there. I'm not, I don't want to judge them. I think the simplest answer is you have to make that decision and you, you have to live on it, um, you know? I think you have to go with the one that you feel best represents you as a writer, whether that's the commercial one or the awards-friendly mm-hmm. one or whatever it is. Um, go with the one that you're, that you feel the strongest about. But again, I think for queries, I uh, really put one in there. I, if I get more than one, to, I honestly, not always, but sometimes I'll just delete it. So especially if I, if I get more than two, I mean, there's like some people send me like here's six log lines, Delete, you know, mm-hmm. like, nah. Because like, I don't have the time to do it. And also to me, it indicates a lack of seriousness, lack of professionalism and mm-hmm. a lack of being able to ed- edit themselves and really be like, this is the one thing I think you should pay attention to.
0: Right, absolutely. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Bo Batons, I said, I saw that John was a judge for the killer shorts contest. Would he sign someone just on the strength of a short script?
1: Um, You know, I've met people through that. Um and uh, you know, I haven't signed anyone off of a short film, but I have been like, "I love your short or your short film script. I'd love to read a feature version." Weirdly, every time that I've done that, they never have a feature available. It's weird. You would hmm. think that they would have they would have a feature available, but and I'm not even talking of that actual short. I mean, just a feature period, but they don't. So, but anyways, I have I have I've met with I've met with three people from that actually. Um And uh, I mean, one of those people was a person who was deeply disinterested in signing with me, so whatever. Um, but the two other people, I was like, look, I'll read your features. And in fact, I have read a feature from one of them since. It ended up not being for me, although they're a very interesting writer and I was like, I'd love to read more. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know that I would sign someone off a short film script, but it would open the door to me reading their features, absolutely. And it mm-hmm. opened the door to me meeting with them. Cool.
0: Uh, let's see here, Manda Michelle, uh, I think you told me how to pronounce your last name, Amanda, before Michelle, Michael. Maybe you can drop it in the chat. Anyway, hopefully I got it right, Amanda Michelle. What's your feeling on script platforms, i.e., the Blacklist, Coverfly, Roadmap, Script, I don't know, Revolution, maybe Pipeline? Uh, how much of this, how much of this, is important to a spec writer, success or fail? I mean, look,
1: they're very different platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, The blacklist, I know that maybe one of the ones I want to know the best I've signed multiple clients via that, Um, but that's simply a hosting thing with obviously a review capacity to it. Although there are lots of fellowships and and programs Mm -hmm. that run through the blacklist. So that's that. Um, Script Pipeline, um, you know, that's not a website where I can, to my knowledge, I can go on and like, and go through scripts or whatever, but that is a phenomenal, I've signed, um, I signed the number one Blacklist script last year, Cauliflower, out of that, as well as another script called In the End. Um, uh, and I think my, my colleagues signed um, Aaron Murkowski um, or Aaron Mar- 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 Marowski, um, uh off of that, off of Script Pipelines. And I have a very, to be fair, I have a very close friendship with Matt Mistich. Um, so, but I really love script pipeline. I think they're excellent, but they're not like a platform in my understanding. And the like there's things like the blacklist and Coverfly that you put your screenplay up and, and it's hosted, um, you know, and that's, that's different to me than um, script pipeline or roadmap. So like roadmap and pipeline, the executives will email me and say, hey, you should be aware of this or like, hey, this one, I don't think Roadmap does contests. I don't know if they do, but anyways, this one, this, or this one, that, like, I know Pipeline does that. Um, I don't know what script evolution is. I've never heard of it. So whatever. Um, Coverfly, they'll occasionally email me like, hey, you should be aware of that. But Coverfly and, and Blacklist are more traditional and like the script is posted up. They'll occasionally send you email, either email, I mean, Blacklist has never emailed me about, like a person has never emailed me like, hey, you should be aware of this. Mm-hmm. But every week I get, you know, our readers recommend these features and these pilots and, and these plays. And I, I've, I've signed people many, many times um, off of the Blacklist website. Uh, I don't think I've ever signed anyone off Coverfly, but I think I tried to sign someone off Coverfly once I just didn't sign them. They didn't end up, they went, they went with someone else. Um, but they, I will get like, I don't think it's weekly, but regular emails from saying, hey, so-and-so is looking for a manager, or, You know, so-and-so is looking for an agent. And then occasionally executives will email me from there and say, hey, you should check this out. Um, but pipeline and roadmap, um, Uh, I get regular emails from the executives there. And then Mm -hmm. pipeline is is more formally a contest. Um, You know, and I do judge, I think I judge for pipeline. I'm pretty sure I judge for pipeline, but I certainly am well aware of them because, you know, Matt and I talk a lot and I've gotten clients through them. So it's, they're all very different. You know, it's not like they they have different ways that they operate. Mm -hmm. Um, Do I think they're required for a, um, a spec writer? I don't know. You know, I mean, like I've signed people just off query letters, you know, Um, I've signed people off the blacklist off cover. Well, I've never signed a cover fly. I've tried Mm -hmm. off of, you know, pipeline or or roadmap. I I think I've signed someone from roadmap. or I I can't remember. I've certainly tried, Um, you know, so like, however it comes to me is a good way to come in. What I would personally say is that, you know, I would always try to be doing multiple things. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to put my script up in blacklist and I know this costs money. So but the query letters cost nothing other than time. But like, okay, I'm gonna query, but I'm also gonna put my stuff on the blacklist. Like in the case of like two, maybe three of the clients that we signed off the blacklist, they were actively querying me as well as putting the blacklist. And so like it was almost like they queried me. And I also saw the script in the in the 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 R readers recommend thing. Hmm. I remember once it was like I read the script off the blacklist and Zach got it from a query. We literally got the same week. So I think this query might've been like, I just got an eight on the blacklist or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, or might've been vice versa. So that was something where that client was doing it multiple clients actually doing it two different ways. And so it kind of hit, you know, look, do I think you should be on every single one? No, that would cost a lot of money and time and things like that. But I do think probably the best, one of the best ways would be focusing on queries in addition to one of the other things. That would right. be my thing. And again, it costs money. The queries cost nothing. And I obviously sign people off queries. Do a lot of other managers sign people off queries? And I would suspect I'm kind of more, I'm one of the most people who sign, one of the people who signs the most people off queries. But I do know that I've, I've had things where like when I signed the headhunter writer um, back with the number one script in 2020 off of a query, there are other managers pursuing her as well who she queried, you know? So like, clearly that was something mm-hmm. where, People had read it and and, and responded to it. That's definitely a situation where query like the multiple management offers. Um, So it does happen. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it, I would say the queries probably could be like low, you know, you send a hundred queries, maybe you get like 10 responses. I don't know, but it depends, right? So, uh, but that costs nothing other than time and research, obviously. Whereas the blacklist does cost money. All the other services cost varying amounts of money but do your research. is a simple answer.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: apparently I skipped a question. Andreas Anderson asked um, having something going into production this summer and having the next script ready. I feel like I'm ready, uh, ready reaching uh, already reaching out to manager or ready to reach out to managers. Uh, what's the best approach calling or emailing?
1: Emailing, never call anybody. People call me. I actually get kind of annoyed, honestly. Right. I'll be like, I'll, I'll sometimes be just like, hey man, like, just email it, don't call. But like, no, just email,
2: just email. Mm-hmm. You have to uh,
1: understand, I get 50 emails a day that are queries. And like, and like, I don't think anything of that. I'm like, I'm not like mad or anything. I mean, right. I'm annoyed when people attach their screenplay without, right. without being asked. If there's any attachments, I delete it automatically.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because like, same way that you would delete anything that came in automatic as an attachment. Um, but phone calls, I, I get them so rarely that it does kind of irk me. Um, you know, I've gotten things mailed, packages mailed to my house. It's not cool. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's not email is the only way.
0: Right. It's not innovative and, and daring. It's kind of creepy and, and annoying. Right.
1: The yeah. same way that like, if you're watching a movie and like, like, oh, it's so cute in that movie where that guy like broke into her house to like give her flowers in real life. That's just fucking weird, mm-hmm. you know, and creepy and criminal
0: um brooks reynolds i enjoyed your tweets about long money versus short money i'd love to hear more on this maybe hypotheticals of when you'd advise a client one way or the other
1: i mean i think i went into that in detail in the thread honestly um you know but i I think the short answer is you have to be like is there a longer relationship to be gained here Mm. um by taking you know the long is this is this a temporary thing where i feel like there's nothing else will come out of it then i should probably do this the short monies tends to be more, the long money tends to be less, you know, mm-hmm. the long money is in pursuit of, you know, would you rather, would you rather take 20 bucks now with the possibility of getting 20 bucks every week for the rest of your life, or would you rather take $5,000 right now? You know, I don't know, whatever. It depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. It's very circumstantial and um, situational based. So it's hard to give um, an answer. You know, you have to weigh the pros and cons. You have to be like, oh, is it worth... Is it worth taking less money here because of possible opportunities that could arise down the road out of it? At the end of the day, you have to make that decision.
0: Right. Do you take those Star Wars merchandising rights, or do you take a bigger paycheck up front? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Well, that's certainly when that worked out. That me. worked out for him. But yeah. Um, let's see, Glenn Toussaint. Uh, if you query a manager with something that isn't commercially commercially viable, should you mention that you realize that in the query?
1: No don't under, don't front porch yourself don't undercut right. yourself i mean like when we got the, i got the head under query it was like oh this is just cool and interesting i didn't think i could sell for millions of dollars i just thought it sounded cool mm-hmm. you know? right doesn't mean i wouldn't be, respond to a commercial query i certainly have and, and will um but uh but no and don't undercut yourself it's like being like hey i'm going on a date i know i'm kind of ugly but I'm like oh you know
0: <laughs> good analogy uh john lonizak says given the nature of the industry and a looming recession it seems it's either big budget marvel movies or low budget indies under five million even nfl viewership has dramatically dropped i don't know if there's a question there but uh any great
1: great great to hear man tell me more tell me more
0: uh no so i don't know if he's questioning on if you agree with that or not but it does i mean i
1: don't know i mean yeah. maybe there's a recession coming Maybe there, i hope there's not but there could be so oh. i don't know we just have to take go through go we have to go through this world one day at a time um right. preparing for hoping for the best you know but prepping for you know i don't know the worst but well it yeah, does seem
0: good. that they're, they're the middle ground movies there's a lot of opportunities in streaming now forever you know last time i checked it's everything
1: everywhere it once did pretty well and that cost like that was not a low budget indie. It was like, sure. I mean, it was like a medium budget. I would, I, I think the budget was like fifteen to thirty or something, mm-hmm. twenty to thirty. So, I mean, look, we I have a client getting a movie made right now that's an eight million dollar movie, in there, and yeah, I I, I, actually, I don't know if that's the budget, but it's you know it's a decent budget for uh, a first time filmmaker. You mm-hmm. know, um, multiple movies actually. Yeah. Um, so you know things are still happening. Um, But it's hard. I'll put it like this. Things are still happening. There's still opportunities. Um, But it's certainly as hard as it's ever been. But that doesn't make it impossible. Sure. But if the odds daunt you or freak you out, this is definitely not the business for you. Right. I mean, it's just never been. There's a lot easier ways to make money. Yeah. But it is a job.
0: But don't buy NFTs.
1: (laughs) I mean, that's my feeling on it. But again, people buying NFTs or cryptos, in my opinion, they're looking for the shortcut. They're like, oh, this is... This is this is gonna make me, this is gonna be that shortcut situation. Um, and somebody's my, gonna make money off
0: of it, but most people well, that are I think the people most who made people money will off. be the bag holders. I think the
1: people who made the money who were gonna make getting getting the money from that were the people who bought in Early. 15 yeah. years ago, 10 years ago. Uh,
0: Simba again. should every writer learn how to do a pitch deck? Uh, learn I learned no. it recently and it helped me figure out my story. Also, who you got, Jimmy Page or George Harrison?
1: Uh, they're very different people. So I don't, in terms of jerry Harrison and Jimmy Pace, that's radically different players. So I, they're both excellent. I don't know. Like it's, it's very different. Um, pitch decks. I don't think, uh, uh, I don't think it's, um, I don't think it's, it's, it's personally worth your time. I don't, you know, if it helps you figure out your story, great. I, I think there's probably less time intensive ways to figure out your story than learning how to do a pitch deck. Right. Um is it a useful skill down the road? Absolutely. Is it a necessary skill? No. Um, it's a um, complementary skill, mm-hmm. um, but I, 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 it's a complementary skill less in figuring out your story, more in down the road, helping you do Zoom pitches or something, you know? Right. Um, but that's, that, that's way down the road. And I think the time should probably be better better. Your time would be better spent working on your writing and your mm-hmm. concepts and things like that. Now, look, what's helpful to you Great. That's awesome. That's totally true. Is it something I would recommend for other people? No. Uh,
0: let's see here. John Lonazak, I think this is sort of a facetious question. Given the way Netflix is going, should my script plan on ad breaks every five pages? Yes, you should do that. Let me know how it goes. Uh, Phil Originals, Hollywood relying on IP is about hedging on risk and quality for mass awareness. At what point will Hollywood dilute or exhaust their IP libraries where they're forced to take more risks or original ideas to create new franchises?
1: asked Bob Chapek. And he said, the answer is Monday. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. How would I know?
0: Who knows? I guess the, when there's a, a few non IP related massive hits and then everyone will want to do those again. Right.
1: I don't think so. I think mm-hmm. unfortunately that's, I I don't think trying to people make mistakes when they imagine a sea change occurring change happens, tends to happen on a much more gradual basis. Mm. I mean, look, pandemic earthquake, you know, you know, I'd be like real estate prices in Los Angeles are generally stable with the exception of when an earthquake hits, you know, like, okay, you know, obviously. Um, And that doesn't mean that things don't fluctuate within a 5%, 10% varied, but they're not going to drop 50% unless, you know, a life-changing uh, event occurs. Um, and that's kind of my feeling about the industry mm-hmm. is that um, any sort of like hard and fast, like when is this going to happen or how is that, you know, right. like things happen as they happen on a, on a, you know, like Crazy Rich Asians was a massive hit. There's been almost, there's never even made a fucking sequel to it, which is mind blowing to many. Right. Uh, and there hasn't been, unfortunately, a, you know, a complimentary rise in the number of Asian-led or targeted films, which is really surprising to me um, and annoying, especially some with a K-pop movie. Um, so, you know, uh, it is one of those, it's a, it's a weird thing, but like mm-hmm. the reality is these things happen on um, a very slow, gradual basis. But the idea that Hollywood will exhaust and dilute IP uh I'm assuming you didn't watch the two Sonic the Hedgehog movies because turns out there's a lot more out there yeah I mean like it's just <laughs> that's the true point, right like yeah. it's just the feeling like when are they going to run out of things well oh. tell you when they run here's a simple answer they're going to stop making IP based movies the moment you convince everyone else to stop going to them hmm. and that doesn't seem like it's something that's happening ever. look Talk Gun 2 which is again a sequel mm-hmm. but like whatever uh, it was a huge hit. That's, that's, that's cool. Do you know that Top Gun as much as we were celebrating it made less opening weekend than I think Dr. Strange did. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, they were pretty close. And it was funny. Like, I don't remember Dr. Strange, people talking about Dr. Strange, like it was going to save sama as excited as I am for Top Gun. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think Top Gun will actually outgrow potentially outgrow Dr. Strange too, but it is one of those weird things. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I think the simpler answer for me when I'm thinking about things is like, I feel like theatrical is actually coming back in a big way. Um, But at the same time, there's gonna be a, there's a 45-day, like Top Gun 2 will be on Paramount Plus um, in probably 30 days from now, roughly, because there's a 45-day window, right? And like, that is something that pre-pandemic never would have happened. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be on Paramount, in Paramount Plus, I don't know if it even existed if it did exist, that movie would not have been on Paramount Plus until, like, six months after or mm-hmm. something. At know? least, yeah. There's, there's, there's a 45-day window, which, again, that is something that is dramatic, but it happened due to a pandemic, a once-in-a-lifetime, hopefully, event. Um, so, you know, that that was a big change. But I do think theatrical is coming back in a big way. Um, which has been exciting. Um, but again, you know, it, it, it's, it's one of those things where it happens on a, on a, on a movie by movie, movie basis. Mm-hmm. You know, like something like, um, forget it, Billy Porter's new movie that he directed. That was something that was aiming for a theatrical release. Um, mm-hmm. But now that MGM got bought by uh, Amazon Prime, um, it's going digital. Um, you look at something like Dog, which was a decent success. Channing Tatum's movie Dog, that was a decent success. I'm pretty sure if MGM at that point had been owned by Amazon, they would have just set into streaming. So you wouldn't have known that it would have made that much money. Did anyone see Everything Everywhere at once going to make $100 million domestic? I don't think people necessarily foresaw that. So that's, that's, that is that's that is a what I think is a personally encouraging trend.
0: Right. Um, there's a couple more questions in the chat, but I wanted to get to this last segment. <coughs> Uh, where the segment for where the guest selects a topic. So I, I hand the mic over to you. Is there anything that you want to talk about? Whether it's a current event, whether it's what you're a fan of something right now that you want to chat about, whether it's you know uh, I don't know man. you saw, whether it's any I, the, the personal th- news going on, your plans for the summer.
1: The only thing that I honestly like I like to tell people is they should mm-hmm. watch this TV show called Mr. In Between. Which was, af- which was an, which uh, was an is an Australian show that's on FX, mm-hmm. which means it's on Hulu now. And there's three seasons of it, and it is one of my all time absolute favorite shows. And almost every single person that I've told to watch it has become a raving fan of it. Mm-hmm. It's I want to say the episodes are only half hour long, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, it's phenomenal, um, worth watching really excellent i want to say the first season of like six episodes or eight episodes it's very short second season i think gets up to like 12 or 14 and then the third season was the final. and it has a has a complete ending complete mm-hmm. beginning and ending it ended on its own terms it's an excellent show it's very very funny but it's also very dark um i love it i love it that like that's if you're asking me like i, I don't have anything planned or off the top no, head, that's- like that's a show that i whenever whenever there's one show i can recommend to someone that's the one show that i recommend
0: um, Mr. in between on between. That's my
1: infection. one. I don't I know not yeah, so we don't have to discuss like the January 6th hearings or like sure or whatever. I don't know, whatever else we could we could discuss.
0: What is Mr. in between about? It
1: is about it's kind of weird. It's 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 about like a criminal. People call him a hitman, but that's not actually what he is. Hmm. He's just kind of a career criminal. Um, and it's also, but he's also like uh I, I call him a single father. That's not accurate. He's a divorced dad who gets custody of his daughter and he starts dating someone who doesn't know who he is or what his past is. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just kind of like a slice of life. Um, it's kind of like trying to call Atlanta, like a music show or a hip hop. It's mm. not what Atlanta is. Atlanta is about so much more than that. Um, and so I guess it's kind of a crime show, um, but it's a slice of life show. If you watch the first episode, you'll understand immediately what it is um it's you know it's what this guy and has a very particular vision of the world same with the, the sopranos yes it was a crime show but like tony soprano spent just as much time talking about the decline of masculinity i mean his perceived the perception mm-hmm. of it at least his perception of it at least and like marital relations and things like that you know which calling it just simply a crime show is a little simplistic although um i would say there's even more crime in the sopranos than there ever is in mr in between Um, but uh, I know I was like shows that like are very dark but are very very funny as well Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that sometimes gets uh, forgotten Um, but yeah I don't know it's a great show great and the guy who stars in it Scott Ryan he actually also writes all the episodes and they're all directed by um, Nash Edgerton who's a phenomenal director he Mm -hmm. directed The Square um, and is also Joel Edgerton's brother Um, and is a phenomenal stunt guy he's a big stunt person Yep. um so but yeah nash edgerton directs every single episode and and, and scott ryan who stars in it also mm-hmm. writes every single episode so it's a it's an excellent show with a very clear and, and nash edgerton did these three short films which are phenomenal um i want to say the first one's called spider and the second one's called bear and the last one's called shark and they're about this guy played by nash edgerton the first one if you've seen it you know it. i'm gonna spoil a little bit Nash Edgerton's in a car with his girlfriend. They get into a fight. You don't know why they're fighting, but they're fighting. They pull over to a gas station. He goes inside to buy her some flowers to, like, apologize. And he finds a little toy plastic spider and he buys it. And he puts it in her, like, visor as, like, a a prank on her Mm -hmm. because he can't help himself. And then the spider falls while they're driving. And suffice to say, chaos ensues. It's, like, Mm -hmm. only three minutes long. But I remember seeing it. You can get it on YouTube. I think it's also on Hulu. Um, I remember seeing it and think it was like one of the craziest things I've ever seen. And so he's a, he's a great director. So watch Mr. in Between and go and check out the Spider short. And then the sequels, because he did a sequel called Bear and a sequel called Shark, all with the same main guy played by Nash Edgerton, hmm. um, getting himself into various really stupid situations <laughs> out of his own kind of like he can't resist a prank. He loves a prank.
0: Right. Well, now I'm going to have to go check it out, too. Yeah. Let me know what you think. Yeah. Yeah, and tweet it at uh, John and let him know if you like if you liked Mister in between. If you like Mister in between, make, nothing yeah. makes me happier
1: than someone yeah. getting, getting someone into Mister
0: in between. Uh, a few more questions, and then we can wrap it up here. Uh, George Aiken has a client ever asked you to pitch their show idea or movie I Id- Wait, has, has a client ever asked you pitch their show idea or movie idea to a specific network? such as FX, HBO, or USA? Oh, okay. So I guess, so ha- has a client ever directed you to pitch to a specific network?
1: For, to me, for me to pitch them before they pitch it? No, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't be like, hey
0: guys, what do you think?
1: It's like, they. why, why would you want me to pitch your idea uh,
0: when you could pitch that idea? Right. It could also be interpreted this question as if they say, I want this show to be pitched to FX specifically. Well, that's what
1: an agent does when it's all prepped. Right. And I guess I do sometimes, so really the agent does. Like, hey, we're right. taking out a show in this kind of vein. Does that sound like it's up your alley? Cool, then we're taking it. But I think maybe he's asking, do I ask them? Like, hey, they want right. to do a show about art heist. Do you want to do it? And right. they're like, yes. Okay, we'll come back to you in six months with it. No, right. we don't do that. Right. Nobody right. does
0: that. That's crazy. Um, let's see. Ross- also,
1: because oh. six months later, it could have a completely different. Uh, It'd right. be like, oh, yeah, the mandate completely changed. Our heists are out.
0: Right, right. The last Art Heist movie that came out failed. So Sorry, that. yeah, no more Art Heist. Yeah. Um, but we have this pitch. You said you wanted it six months ago. Uh-oh. Yeah, we wanted it six months ago, but not now. Yeah. Uh, Ross G., are you still playing Fortnite or have you moved on to something better? I
1: just going to shake my head at the impudence
2: of that
0: question. <laughs> uh let's see scrappy coco hi john hi kevin uh hi scrappy our coco thanks for doing this speaking of theatrical what's the best screening you've ever attended i don't know best definition of like, the best question. movie or the most fun you've had I, mean, I assume it means like the most interesting screening yeah, a maybe. lot
1: like the one that comes to mind immediately weirdly was i went and saw um under your under the skin uh, the Jonathan Glazer movie with Scarlett Johansson mm. at the New Beverly and halfway through the air conditioning broke <laughs> and it became really muggy and hot yeah. and that movie is very <laughs> a very uncomfortable movie uh, and it weirdly like added to the atmosphere being mm-hmm. incredibly hot and stuffy in this movie that's kind of like um, you know suffocates you in a way so that was mm-hmm. I once saw Donnie Darko uh, mm-hmm. when it was in theaters like the first time like back in like 2001 uh, in uh, New York and halfway, th- and there's a part in it where Patrick Swayze's house gets set on fire by Jake Gyllenhaal. And at that point, the, f- the film got stuck in the projector and it burned and they had to redo the, redo the, they had to start it again. And like the film catching on fire at the moment of the fire in the movie was pretty fucking weird. So that one I remember. Um, I remember going to a screening of Lost in Translation with my boss at the time. And halfway through the movie, we realized the movie was about, um, Scarlett, uh, sorry, Sophia Coppola divorcing Spike Jones, which she had not done yet, by the way. She had not done. You're watching this movie and you're like, whoa, like, um, what's his name? The actor who plays it. Um, I'm blanking on his name, but I can see his face. The one who plays clearly the Spike Jones character, you're like, way, oh, Giovanni Ribisi. You're like, clearly he's playing Spike Jones. This is clearly about your husband. This is crazy. And there was like a Q&A afterwards. And I think someone asked for that. She's like, no, 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 no. It obviously was. Uh, that was fun. Um, I mean, the problem with like most screenings when you go to them and there's like a Q&A afterwards is someone always gets up. or run into a screening of like Kill Bill or something. At the end of it, this person's like, hello, Mr. Tarantino. I am a fan of yours. Because I am a fan, I have a screenplay. And he walked in like through to Tarantino. And Tarantino's like, what what are you doing, man? I'm like, if you're a fan of mine, you know I wrote I, I read my own shit, man. I'm not reading your shit, you know. It was very uh that was memorable. But most of the time there's like always someone. I actually don't go to QA screens anymore because there's always someone with a most of the questions are god awful. Hmm. And they're always like either like, excuse me, always, always, always someone going, excuse me. What was the budget for the movie? As if they're like, mm, interesting. Now that I see the budget, I I I I think of it in different terms. Right. I can only imagine like if i went to a screen for the northman the amount of like weird bizarre like budget questions that would get asked um so yeah I mean, like it's it's usually like about the weird circumstance the ones that are memorable or like i remember when saw born identity i think i put this in a thread at the end of it like there's that scene where matt damon like holds a body and fall and shoots a guy as he's falling down with a body that will break his fall And i was right. santa Clara, and some guy just yells jesus boy I never did that and everyone's like yeah and I was like, oh, this movie's gonna be a success. People love that. Nice. Um, so that's always fun. Or like, or like you go to a rock, it's like I, I go to see Die Hard every Christmas. Well, up until the pandemic, I went and saw Die Hard every Christmas with like a lot of my friends and my clients and stuff. We have like our Die Hard screen that we go to right mm-hmm. before Christmas because Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Um, <laughs> and um so that's always fun. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's it's LA is a great city for, for going to movies. I, every time I go to the New Beverly, it's a it's a memorable screening. Right. I went and saw Aliens recently with my with my buddy Sean Colin Smith and um, Julia I think Julia White. Um. And and like I sat down, the person just turns to me and goes Aliens or alien, alien or aliens? What's a better movie? And I was like, Oh my god, this is like a very LA New Beverly kind of like mm-hmm. crowd. But I was like, Well, both of them are good. You know, I like them both equally. And then someone goes, and They goes, well, We all can agree that Aliens three sucks. I was like, well, actually, I actually like Alien 3. And then someone from another world goes, yeah, Aliens 3 is underrated. And then someone like jumped in They're like, yeah. And so is Alien Resurrection. Then everyone's like, no, that's inaccurate. That's a bad movie. <laughs> it's, there's always someone with like the weird opinion. Like they think like Mission Impossible 2 is like the best one or something. And then, right. you know, no, get out of here with that. You know, having a contrary opinion does not make for a personality. <laughs>
0: That's true. Although many people do think that it does. Indeed. Um, and they're all on the internet. Right. I'm sure you get tweeted a lot about it. Um, and speaking of Tarantino, it's funny. Uh, a friend of mine used to work at Video Archives back in the day with Tarantino. You know, they're, they're doing a
1: podcast series called Video Archives now, him and Roger Avery, where they go through the old VHS movie.
0: Well, I remember uh, Roger and Quentin weren't talking for a long time. Um, there was issues with the whole <coughs> Pulp Fiction thing and, and Tarantino yeah. thing and I don't know. Um, but anyway, he bef- the first time he introduced me to Quentin, he said to me, just don't ask him what was in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. He hates that question. Just don't ask. I'm like, sure. Right? So, yeah, but. I'm sure he got asked too many times at film festivals. And so I got an advance warning not to ask that, which I did not. You have to ask him,
1: but like, what do you, hey man, like think, what, what do you think of Switchblade Sisters or something? There
0: Yeah, no.
1: know. Before I saw Top Gun, the new one, I made my wife watch the scene from Sleep With Me. Hmm. That's all about his, like, his, his theory of the, the gay theory, as it were. Like, right. The man is, like, the man is just a wind-up toy of movie opinions.
0: He is. No, absolutely. I mean, and... And in comic books too, like all, a lot of that stuff in Crimson Tide where they're talking about right, the Mobius right, Silver right, Surfer right. or the Kirby they're Silver like, ah, Surfer. I wonder
1: what Park Quentin Tarantino wrote. Yeah, for.
0: exactly. Yeah, no, he's a pop culture uh, encyclopedia, really. Um, so I've uh, got a lot of thank yous in the chat. Thank you, John, for coming out and spending your time with us this Saturday morning. We greatly appreciate it. Um, as always, I'm sure I'll, I'll be bothering you again to come back on and i love it. it's not you know time.
1: i've always been oh it's been too long i haven't been on scripts and scribes but yeah i appreciate sometimes i'm like oh man it'd be cool to like do like a regular podcast but then i feel like i would i at a certain point i either run out of things to say most likely or i'd be like have to like feel like i needed like to like give like fresh opinions or be mm. salty or controversial for the sake of like and i'd be like you know here's my real thoughts on right that. And that would be bad for my career. Uh, and also it's just like, when you're in a place where you're talking just for the sake of talking, mm-hmm. sort of, you know. Like I have friends, like my friends, Tasha and Josh do like a weekly podcast. And like, mm-hmm. I'm always impressed by the, the way they're able to kind of always find a new angle to discuss. I mean, they're very specific in their, in their right. thing. They act to writer's podcast. Sorry for another podcast. No, not at all. Yours, yeah, no but uh, I'm it. always impressed by by people. But like, I love that we talk like every six months or nine months or something. So I feel like you give me enough time to think of something intelligent to talk about.
0: Well, if you ever have anything you want to talk about or feel like, hey, you know what? I want to chat, you know, then we'll have you back up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Always, always. So thank you guys all for watching and or listening. However you are consuming this podcast. Next week, next Saturday, uh, which is the 18th we've gone on Shannon Johnson, who is a script consultant uh, from the professional pen and also a former development and uh, broadcasting exec from sci-fi. So we're going to be getting into topics like uh, how to pitch your show or, you know, and development and what that whole process is from the buyer side. So come by with your questions then uh, t- same time, 10 AM Pacific uh, next Saturday, June 18th. Thank you, John, as always, it's a pleasure and be Ify. sure to tweet it, John, uh, whether or not you liked, what's the show's Mr. name again? Mr. In-Between. Mr. In-Between. I need to write that down. I'm definitely going to go watch that. Um, and the, on Hulu. And the uh, shorts, Spider, Bear, and Shark. I don't know if I got the order that's for That's right. It. That's exactly it.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Hey, you remember the Spider, Bear, and Shark, but you didn't remember the name of the show.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so thank you all for joining us. Thanks, John. And we'll see you next time.